0: Today's episode is brought to you by bit.com. You'll be hearing more about them later on in today's interview, which begins right now. We have a special treat today for viewers of Forward Guidance. We've got two guests who know a lot about macro, Juliette de Klerk, uh, founder of JDI Research, and Darius Dale, founder of 42 Macro. So glad to have you here, uh, uh, both of you here. I mean, there's just so much going on. We're recording this uh, on the first day of the Fed's FOMC meeting. The the announcement will be made uh, tomorrow on on June 15th. We're recording on June 14th. Risk assets have had a very rough couple of days, in particular crypto and bonds, gold. Typical safe haven bids have been no help at all. We have so much to talk about. But Juliet, how about I just ask you, because a few minutes ago, you said now is one of the most confusing times in macro. What did you mean by that? Why? What are some things that normally hold true in macro that are no longer true? In true why is this a so confusing period?
1: I'll say probably the, the one thing that probably confuses the most is um, where... With the economy, like correlates with the stock markets. And I think the same way, um, you know, we've had the biggest um, rally of of all time in the middle of the worst recession in, in 2020. What's really interesting today is really the fact that the worst danger, at least at the moment, uh, for for stocks and and for risk in in general is actually the strengths uh, of the US economy so i'm hearing a lot of like uh, macro pundits like you know sort of um um the, the narrative around uh you know like uh, uh, their view on on the risk assets being that negative because we are headed to recession well, the one thing about recession is we're always headed to recession. It's like this thing, like uh, taxes uh, or deaths. You, you know, you're always headed to recession. But my view here is that recession is not the problem. The problem, the real problem, is the strength of of U.S. demand, and uh, and the strength of the U.S. economy.
0: Yeah, Darius, could you elaborate on that idea a lot? Because I know uh, in your models you, you have grids where, let's say, growth and inflation are slowing at the same time. That's very bad for the economy. Likely a recession. That historically has been bad for risk assets, but I think what Juliet is saying is the economic news can be so bad that the central banks will just, you know, uh, inject tons of liquidity, and that that will actually be very good for risk assets. Likewise, the threat now, if I, if I understand Juliet correctly, is that if the economy is strong, then the Federal Reserve will have no reason whatsoever to pivot uh, as it attempts to to moderate inflation, and sort of the worst situation for risk assets. Is, is a good economy. What, what do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I don't know that the worst situation for risk assets is a good economy. It's just that the, the lagging strength of the economy, particularly in the labor market, is causing the Fed all sorts of h- trouble and, and, and heartache because that's clearly what they're trying to slow with the tightening of monetary policy. And unfortunately, for asset markets, the resiliency of the labor market, and you know we could start sprouting out statistics, uh, is a real big problem. As we all know, I mean, you pull up a chart of the S and P and the Fed balance sheet, or global equity market capitalization relative to the global central bank balance sheet, and those those things are very, very highly correlated, above ninety percent on both of those metrics since two thousand nine. So, you know, as much as we like to think that you know credit and equity markets reflect the buoyancy of the economy, the real you know the real driver, at least over the last sort of ten to twelve years, has been the liquidity cycle. And right now we're in a very deep negative liquidity cycle downturn that only stands to get worse. We haven't even seen the worst of it yet. Um, in terms of our calculations, you know, we, we sort of add up the um, expected change in the Fed's balance sheet based on the projected quantitative tightening program, as well as the likely change in the reverse repo facility, um, just as a function of you know reverse repo rates continuing to get hiked and and, and remain elevated relative to market pricing. We're talking about a potential nine hundred. 900 plus billion dollar reduction in in liquidity provision that you know by the end of this year so they're trying to get rid of more cash from the system than that they removed all throughout the 2017 to 2019 quantitative tightening program that spanned 21 months they're trying to do more of that in seven months and to me it's just a that that is the issue
0: yeah Juliet, it is alarming how much uh uh, sell-off we've seen in risk assets And the tightening—we're only in the first inning of the tightening. You know, we've only just begun quantitative tightening. We've only just begun hiking rates. Uh, How much tightening do you think the the central banks can do? Not just the Fed, but also the ECB and other central banks.
1: I mean, I I think what um, Darius um, touched about um, is the lag uh, between, firstly, between uh, demand and, and inflation. Uh, which can be up to like 18 months. So, you know, the inflation that we saw last month and the shocking uh, number from, from last Friday is really a result uh, still of like a demand strengths uh, that generate from like 2020, 2021. Uh, now there's a lot of narrative that inflation is um, uh, it will eventually kill demand. And, you know, a lot of talk about demand destruction. Uh, What I'm saying is at the moment is really none of that. There's been no demand destruction. And and in fact, if you look at what happened uh, in the the last uh, New York Fed survey, um, you know, purchasing uh, plans uh, are actually making like new highs. The last number was like 9%. And it's actually following um, short-term inflation expectations. So inflation expectations moved up to like, I think, 6% in the next year. Uh, Purchasing plans are literally blowing up and the reason as as Darius was was saying is that um the labor market is so strong and and it's particularly strong uh, at the bottom end of the income spectrum and, and for me, that, that's really the key thing because it's it's like a complete paradigm shift that we haven't seen in, in forty years. And there's a chart um, that I sent you um, yesterday, which is actually coming from um, last week uh, Michigan survey, which is saying, which is actually showing that lower income, so the thirty three percent bottom income, are actually um, uh, expecting their real uh, wage to actually go up. At the same time, the top 33% uh, income earners are actually continuing to like get more depressed and expect their uh, real income to, to, to come down. But the point here is that for the first time uh, in 40 years, uh, there's a higher percentage of uh, lower income expecting uh, their real wages to go up versus um, um, higher income. So that's 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 a complete change uh, uh, in inequalities, which, in my view, is actually part um, of the reason why the um, um, um hyper stimulus was so strong and 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 perhaps it's actually uh, a feature of the plan rather than, than a mistake itself. But the point here is when you get uh, um, a much more optimism at, at the bottom end and much more willingness to get ahead of inflation, and that's certainly something we've seen with credit uh, uh, literally blowing off. And 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 there, not, there hasn't been a letdown there, uh, uh, really. Uh, at the bottom end, you see People wanting to get ahead of inflation and and really continue to subsidize inflation uh, with credit because of their belief that um, you know the the, the labor market is is so strong, and um, the problem here when with lower inequalities is you get you obviously get uh, money where there's much higher uh, propensity to consume. At the bottom end, uh, and that means, by definition, almost that you get much higher uh, goods inflation and much lower asset inflation. So, to come back to your question um, about you know where we are in terms of like the uh, sell-off in 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 the um, in the U.S. stock markets and SPX in particular. I've actually um, you know my last report was about showing that the the only um repricing we we've seen so far is just in line with real uh, with higher real yields in other words we've all we've done literally is pricing out financial repression potentially on the back of like lower inequalities so lower inequalities means less financial repression you get stronger demand, stronger inflation, and by design, um, um, weaker stocks, weaker prices uh, on the back of uh, lower multiples. Obviously, the problem is that we haven't priced any chance of of a recession yet, or at least a severe slowdown, and that's actually at the time where I'm also showing that finally uh, real yields are, are now um you know substantially positive and I actually believe you know when when looking at different metrics including um um medium term inflation uh cyclicals versus defensive or even like copper gold ratio you can see that you know we're already in um restrictive territory uh in terms of like the medium term uh, outlook which means that at some point but you know, because of the lag between you know where um, rates are going and 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 the the, the way it will hit demand, uh, you know, it's sort of like a drip until basically I, I don't know if it was Mark Twain saying like you know you go bankrupt uh, slowly and, and gradually and 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 then um, very quickly, um, and and I think that really what what will happen at some point in the next you know six to nine months uh you know what looks like a fed which is far behind the curve and i agree it certainly is is going to end up uh, massively uh, on the hawkish side and 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 the more you're trying to hit um with with higher rates today and potentially with a rate shock tomorrow responding to like a 18 months old uh data which which we got last last week and the more likely you are to to basically overshoot and, and, and the more likely you're going to end up with a with a hard landing because you won't be able to U-turn uh, fast enough. I,
2: I happen to think that we're very likely to, to get something that looks like a hard landing. And here's why. I think the Fed does a poor job of communicating just how little they understand where the neutral rate is. It's obviously a, a, a theoretical construct that cannot be observed. And so the reality is, is every time we go forward in time and we have an economic cycle, particularly an economic cycle is, as, as weird as this one has been, right? We're way above trend from a goods demand perspective, way below trend from a services demand perspective. And so that means from a, from a supply perspective, the economy is just running all off kilter. Um, you know, we don't have enough stuff to buy and we're not demanding enough services. And so the sort of reshaping of the economy You know, maybe it raises the neutral rate, maybe it lowers the neutral rate, but it's very likely that the Fed has to tighten until they see things start to break, more things start to break. Obviously, we got the break uh, in asset markets and same deal with credit yields. Uh, If you look at the Bloomberg Barclays uh, yield to worst, aggregate yield to worst for for overall credit market, we're at a three sigma uh, uh, move on a trailing three-year basis. And obviously, we've always seen a significant slowdown in growth. Same deal with mortgage rates, three sigma move, always see a significant slowdown in growth. So the Fed has, has done enough from a forward guidance perspective. And, and shout to you, Jack, and you, 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 you picked the best name for a podcast quite possibly ever at the right time. Um, from a forward guidance perspective, the Fed has already tightened us into a significant slowdown. We could see that reflected in our market-based economy and, and, and interest rates that support our market-based economy. And they're going to keep going. And so they're likely going to finally back off once the economy you know, finally backs off in a material way. But by then, it would be too late, right? You're going to have accumulated a lot more slowing and a lot more sort of pain. And this is why the Fed has always had such a poor track record of engineering soft landings. And lastly, I will say is, why the heck would it be an expectation that we can somehow engineer a soft landing when the the starting point for the federal funds or for the unemployment rate, once the Fed began this tightening cycle, had a three handle on it? I mean that's that's in the that's in the zeroth percentile of all time unemployment rates. It has nowhere to go but up. And so to me, I think I think this expectation that you know soft landing, softish landing, hard landing, I think this the, the the debate is is moot in my opinion. Um, we're very likely to see a significant slowdown in growth. Could we get into a recession? Yeah, maybe. Um, we're certainly seeing recessionary signs. If you look at you know consumer savings rates, um, if you look at you know some of the the sort of more material slowdown in income growth. If you look at uh, the rise in, 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 in revolving credit use, you know we typically see a significant increase in the growth rate of revolving credit credit card debt into recession, which obviously means that consumers are stretched thin from a budget perspective. And so uh, it's our view, again, that that growth is going to slow significantly. Whether or not we get a re- recession is a moot point. I think the, the answer is, is, is the economy is going to get a lot
1: weaker. Um, just to add something on that, I think for me, and it was really the the metric that gave it away in um, in '99. I think uh, for me, it's really the the U.S. credit impulse, which which will fit into uh, weaker demand from from now, as as you said clearly. Uh, real income is already negative, but you know if you're adding the, um, the sort of like employment growth as well, which is you know not. Uh, negative yet I mean it continues to like uh, add up to uh, aggregate demand but at some point obviously we will get to zero and 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 the only driver of um, um, demand will be basically real wages and um, if you take away the the credit side at that point that's basically when we get to recession in a matter of three months. Uh, but I just want to emphasize that that credit impulse is still basically near the highs. Um, of 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 the past like uh, three cycles, um, obviously it can go down uh, really quickly. But um, you know that's um, uh, something that uh, you can compute yourself with like uh, Fed data on, on a weekly basis. And and for me, it's really the one thing that will give it away in terms of like uh, a Fed U turn. And there is nothing like that yet. So yes, of course we will. Um, the the other thing on the on the U S side is that. Um, I think there, there would be, there was a way uh, to sort of like engineer uh, a soft landing and, and the way would be to actually acknowledge that today's inflation is, is pardon my French, a fuck up of, of last year and that you can't basically do anything <laughs> about this year inflation uh, data. So I do agree that there is an element of credibility there as well, uh, especially when you're seeing um, you know, Michigan sort of like long-term uh, inflation expectation continuing higher. So there is a need for a bit of a, a shock there. Uh, but I think it would be a lot better in terms of communication to acknowledge, acknowledge, acknowledge the, the, the screw up and the fact that uh, the fed cannot do anything about next month's inflation and can pretty much do nothing about uh, end of your inflation because there is firstly a lag between uh, you know fci and and demand and then a massive lag between demand and inflation uh, which means the whole process process is, is basically 18 months uh, which, which kind of like make me make, make me small, uh, you know. Suddenly looking at uh, adding another fifty, you know, seventy-five base points um, per meeting in 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 the next two months, just responding to to last week's data. Uh, so, so for me, there was a way of 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 sort of like engineering uh, a, a soft landing, and I'm still not too worried about an entrenched uh, recession uh, because I do see um, inflation coming down. Uh, next year, but obviously, you know, there is an overlap where you're going to get like uh, it's going to be very difficult to get a, an improvement in the gross uh, policy um, trade-off uh, by the end of the year, and, and that's why I'm I'm still uh, very negative on risk assets and and very positive the dollar as well because I think as inflation comes down, uh, real yields uh, will continue to move higher. Yeah, and one thing
2: uh, I'll add to that is saying that I think at this point. The sooner we get into recession, the more likely it is we get a rebound in asset prices. And as perverse as that sounds, it means the Fed can take its foot off the brake um, in terms of slamming down the, uh, the growth rates of the overall economy. I mean, I, I think the Fed has done a, a, a decent enough job pivoting from their sort of you know prior e- set of expectations around what's causing inflation, what's driving inflation, to acknowledging that inflation is a residual of supply and demand, it met at the intersection of supply and demand. If you know you had a inward shift on the supply curve, you got to do something about demand. You can't just sit, sit there and throw your hands up. I mean, guess what? We had all kinds of supply chain problems uh, in the 1970s, oil embargoes. You had all sorts of you know different uh, policies in the labor market that made a lot more friction uh, in the labor market, a lot you know a lot higher wages, and then you had this, for lack of a better word, bozo Arthur Burns at the top of the Fed you know, constantly easing monetary policy, expanding the Fed's balance sheet, keeping the interest rates below the, the neutral level. I'm not sure if they understood the concept back then. But, um, you know, it, it obviously took a Paul Volcker to come in and, and clean up that mess. And so I, I think this Jay Powell Fed, Jay Powell himself as a human being understands that he got this call wrong. He understands that his colleagues got this call wrong. And they have to do something not only to deal with inflation, but to protect the Fed's credibility, protect his legacy, protect the institution um from who knows what could happen if this if the inflation GD uh is persistent and stays out of the bottle for much longer than um you know kind of the the, the consumer would be comfortable with. Um I, I appreciate your optimism, uh Juliet. You somehow found like the the only positive dynamic in that University of Michigan confidence survey because when I read that survey, it looks like a consumer that's certainly about to slow down pretty significantly as a function of of this rising inflation expectations. I mean when you see an all-time low from an index perspective, that's worrisome. I mean, because I, I would have assumed that conditions were worse uh, in the 1970s. We had three recessions and um, pretty sluggish, real uh, economic output. But if you
1: looked at that number, you would have called a recession like you know six months ago. And and so I think there's there's definitely an element of um, what really matters is the fact that inflation is extremely stimulatory. And 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 what I mean by that is, um, you know, there's three ways inflation is stimulatory. It's uh, firstly, you know, inventories. When, when you've got inventories and there's inflation, you're laughing. You know, prices go up, you can pile up as much as you want. The second thing is like when there's inflation, uh, uh, the labor market is a lot stronger. And the reason is that, um, you know, when you've got inflation, all you have to do to um, um, to, to to sort of like get your uh, in in a downturn, you don't actually to have to sack people. All you have to do is basically to Free salaries, and if you got 10% inflation, you basically got your salary base down uh, all in one go. And and the third thing is obviously uh, the one thing that um, you know we discussed before is um, is the one rational way to fight inflation as an individual is basically to borrow and front load your consumption. And That's what we've seen, and, and that's why the, uh, the Michigan survey is just completely misinterpreted in, in, in my view, and the focus should really be on, on the strengths um, of the labor market. Because as long as you've got the strengths of the labor market, you've got enough optimism, enough animal spirit in, in yourself to be like, you know what, if that's going to be 20% uh, more expensive next year, then I might as well borrow it, like whatever. That, that's really the one thing that the Fed has not managed to break yet. Um, and 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 that's that's sort of like for me the main worry in terms of how much we're gonna have to overshoot uh, to basically break uh, that animal spirit and and that like strength uh, which is due to the um, the stimulative effect of of inflation which as you said you know nothing we've seen in in our lives I mean I wasn't there in the 70s or I was I was there but I wasn't trading or analyzing anything.
0: Yeah, uh, I I just want to uh, shift to talking about financial conditions. Are we anywhere close to a, a point at which financial conditions are sufficiently tight to even begin moderating inflation? And I I'd note that so much of the tightening of financial conditions, you know, the financial conditions, it's risk free rates, treasury rates, equity prices, uh, equity risk premium, credit uh, uh, credit spreads, as, as the dollar. Um, so much of it has been in the dollar as well as the uh, uh, the treasury market, which the Federal Reserve sort of you know has kind of on, on a pu- puppet string via forward guidance. Um, and you know, I think yesterday we saw a hist- uh, you know one of the biggest sell-offs in the sh- short term of the yield curve since I think you know uh, the summer of two thousand and nine. So on the risk-free treasury rate, we're seeing a huge tightening of financial conditions, but. On the equity and credit market, are, are we anywhere close to you know, where we need to go for for inflation
2: to moderate, to actually have a reverse wealth effect? Um, uh, Darius, how about how about we we start with you? No, no, the answer is d- resoundingly no on that on that front. In our opinion, um, when you look at something like the um, the Goldman Financial Conditions Index, you know we're still technically very narrowly in accommodative territory. I mean, this thing could shoot up another you know two three points uh, relative to where it's been. You know, in in you know particularly when it's in and around recession. And then you look at the um, the next twelve months earning yield for the S and P. It's at six point oh nine percent today. Could easily get over seven, eight percent if we, again, if you're talking about pricing in something that looks like a recession. Again, if we, this is this is a if you talk about recession. I definitely agree with your point, Juliet, that the, the University of Michigan uh, confidence survey is is largely misinterpreted. Uh, it's not doesn't have a particularly high correlation to consumer spending, et cetera. I think it's just a, you know sort of a, a barometer of how people feel. And it really, quite frankly, it's just, you know, it looks exactly like the, uh, the president's approval rating in that regard. So um, there still needs to be a lot more damage done um, from, a, from a labor market income generation perspective. You look at aggregate income, you know, growing at 8% on a three-month annualized basis, that's way too high to see consumer demand buckle um, in a material enough way to, 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 to you know, reduce that, that demand curve. Um, and so, you know, to answer your question, Jack, no, I think financial conditions are still uncomfortably loose which is why I believe most uh, the right thing to do is to remain bearish on risk assets. you don't need a recession to see a 30 40 percent drop in the SP If you saw a 30 or 40 percent drop in the S;P it's likely to aid in a bed causing a recession but you don't need you, de- you definitely don't need that there's plenty of economic history and market history of the market you know selling off pretty uh, pretty aggressively you know just on policy alone
1: so on on, on FCI my view is that uh, potentially we would be. Uh, at, at levels that should bring uh, down demand and, and in turn, uh, inflation. In fact, I've got a, um, a model which is um, just looks at um, demand as a you know um, a result of um, real income and and the credit impulse. So looking at um, everything that uh, all the income uh, in the economy. And and what's really quite interesting. And and I'll send you the chart later, and maybe you can put it on on screen. Uh, later is is that there's a very clear uh, nine month lag uh, between where uh, FCI versus and, and I'm looking at FCI as a, um, a you know versus last year or I believe you know it's the the change in, in the change in FDI which which moves demand uh, rather than the absolute uh, level but what's what's really clear from from that chart and and from other uh, pieces of, of analysis is that. Again, you know, FCI today is a lot tighter and is probably tight enough to bring down demand. But the problem is it's in nine months, and and in the meantime, as you say, you do have to overshoot. So I completely agree with you that we will tighten a lot more and we will over tighten, and for the good reason that um, you know the fi- uh, tighter financial conditions actually drip. Uh, uh, in, into the economy until finally you get the slowdown, and that's the time where you know equities are not just pricing uh, lower financial repression, but are also starting to price uh, you know stagnation and and potentially a recession. So by design, we will get a lot tighter. And, and it will be slow at first, and the Fed will have to push it. And at some point, the Fed won't have to push anything anymore, and it will be like a, sort of like end uh, two thousand eighteen, where you know you get the like whoof, like 20 percent down, and and the U turn. Except this time, it's not obvious that you're going to be able to make a U turn because and uh, you know I think it's a good time to like move to the ECB. But if you're if you know if you're in the middle of a recession with like ten percent inflation. Uh, which can easily happen because of the lag between you know lower demand and, and lower inflation. Then the question is, what do you do? You can't you can't print, you can't uh, lower rates, and so that's sort of like the the third. Uh, the, the, the first two things is like double whammy: pricing first financial repression, then um, pricing lower earnings, and then potentially price.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Bit.com, a leading cryptocurrency trading platform. From spot to futures to options trading and more, Bit.com has it all. So whether you're a seasoned investor or you're new to the game, you need to be on Bit.com. Bit.com has launched a zero taker fee option campaign until May 10th. To enroll, email VIP at bit.com. That's bit spelled B-I-T. So email VIP at bit.com and tell them I sent you.
1: The fact that there is nothing central banks can do. Potentially in the U.S., it won't be much of an issue, but it's certainly an issue that I see um, an acute uh, issue in, in in Europe, where on top of everything, the central banks are, are the central bank, the ECB, has to deal with like fragmentation and, and the fact that. Um, debt to GDP ratio, which were never an issue before because you were able to thanks to the ECB and thanks to monetization, you were able to um, issue debt at deeply negative real rates and and certainly at levels below um real uh, the, the 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 level of like real GDP growth, uh, which means that there is no risk of um of of debt to GDP ratio spiraling. The problem is now you actually have those like sovereign spreads exploding. Uh, which means that potentially where there is uh, the worst risk um of, um of of you know the recession e.g. in Italy where there's also like the higher uh, debt to D- to gdp ratio You potentially will not be able uh, to 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 actually resort to fiscal uh, policy, and 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 because firstly, because monetization outside of a deep crisis is actually you know outlawed uh, in Europe. So I think that's really where uh, my focus is at the moment. You know, the Fed might be able to uh, engineer something that doesn't look too much like an abyss, uh, but i'm worried about uh, what's happening in, in europe where you know i think that the recession is clearly already in the cards uh, inflation is uh, you know near 10% uh, mostly supply driven uh, and the ecb is is, is also trying uh, to basically avoid uh, you know sovereign spreads exploding with absolutely zero tool uh, in in its hands um, and, and the reason is that before, you know, you were always able to, um, you know, keep pumping credit by um, lowering real yields, and, and that's that's basically done. Um, you know, the end of free money. Uh, we always knew that, you know, the, the MMT would basically like hit a wall uh, when there is inflation. I think that's something that we always talked about, like two two years ago. You know, like MMT is going to end when there is inflation, but there isn't much talk about it today. Uh, the fact that you know potentially free money is dead and and we are going to be having um to deal with 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 the cycle uh, without the the fiscal help and and with very little countercyclical uh tools tools in hand so it sounds uh,
0: you know by news accounts as well as by your own account it sounds like europe is in quite a quandary the financial markets as well as as the economy as well as politically um, how does your how does that play into two of your views? Number one, which is you're quite bearish on the euro, the, the currency, and then also you sort of been tactically trading uh, the, the European stock index from a long side. So could you just explain those those two views, and then I want to get Darius in Darius's views.
1: Well, firstly, on, the, on 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 equities, European equities, uh, the there is actually it's it's one of the stock index um, in the world what which has a very substantial uh, equity risk premium for 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 good reason, and I actually think that the euro the euro will be a, a much weaker euro will be an escape valve, um, so um, you know. I basically recommended um you know, buying a very deep uh, dip uh, in in european stocks. and i'm I'm quite happy to hold it still, uh, you know with sort of like a long term view on the back of like a high dividend yields uh, and and very and an extremely high uh, equity risk premium, which is already pricing uh, a severe a severe slowdown and, and, and a recession. But at the same time, uh, I am you know bearish um, you know, Sovereign sovereign bonds, peripheral um, bonds, and and I think euro will take a, a huge hit, uh, and I think it will be the only escape valve. And whatever the ECB does, um, you know, hiking rates is is not going to help the currency whatsoever. The US is is a lot stronger. Uh, is is by far the, the the strongest economy in the in the world at the moment, um, which means that global growth will be desynchronized. That also means that uh, the um, the into the, the the rest of the year, uh, FCI is gonna be tr- is gonna be tightening not so much via higher um, yields anymore, uh, but potentially with with a much stronger uh, a much stronger dollar and and much weaker stocks. So I'm actually looking for FCI to tighten in the U.S. via a much stronger dollar and and lower stocks, uh, with with actually yields peaking um, you know imminently.
2: And so, uh, just as a quick follow up, Juliet, you're certainly a lot uh, closer. Uh, you do have boots on the ground in Europe. I think you spend a little bit more time than I do in terms of analyzing those economic dynamics there. What do you think is most different in terms of the the, the current you know setup from a from a labor market perspective, current setup from a growth perspective in Europe that is uh, different than the U.S. I, I would I would argue that with the fiscal stimulus coming down the pike in Europe, it's very likely that uh, Europe may be able to withstand, you know, what is very viewed by the market, a, a somewhat dovish ECB relative to the sort of inflation dynamics over in Europe. Um, so I'm not saying Europe is or is not going into recession, but if you put a gun to my head, I would think just that our overheating economy over here in the U.S. risks, you know, driving us into recession purely as a function uh, of the Fed's reaction function to, to 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 those dynamics, what are your thoughts?
1: So on the fiscal stimulus, first thing is that it's a long term uh, stimulus. Like looking for like a transition in 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 energy is is a long term thing, but also um, you know all those that are talking about a stimulus in in Europe. Are not taking into account the fact that you know sovereign spreads have exploded and and rates have exploded. I think it was all great uh, talking about um, you know what what I've been calling like casa de papel is basically like break the bank uh, and and you know Macron's whatever it costs. Uh, you know for me this is gone and and whatever you spend um, in in the future will have to be coming from somewhere and will either uh, blow up spreads further or or, or basically lead to um, um, spiraling uh, debt to GDP level. So I'm not so sure that the fiscal stimulus will be as powerful as as many um, expect. Uh, also if you're looking at um, um, the French election, uh, which is happening, um, you know, the second run of the parliamentary election is, is this weekend. Um, it's quite likely that Macron will have his hands uh, tied. And, and that he will not get an outright uh, majority in, in Parliament. So you're talking about like a weakened um, sort of like you know leader of of, of Europe into his, his second uh, mandate, which is also going to be an issue in terms of like regrouping uh, EU countries behind uh, a leader and and being able to sort of pass the the, the really bold measures uh, that were passed in in his first mandate.
2: Actually, that makes sense. Thank you,
1: Darius.
0: I um. I know that you've started to look at uh, investing on the short side, so shorting equities, which is you know I don't think is something that you typically do during like you know a, a normal economic uh, uh, period. Oh, uh, why why did you start incorporating that? And um, yeah, I mean, c- c- does that speak to just just your level of bear- bearishness that you, that you have on,
2: on risk assets? Yeah, no, we've we've been short for most of the year. Um, you know, pick your sector, pick your market. Um, right now, we're broadly short U.S. indices and and do believe that, you know, just if you look at it from a targeting perspective, you know, we don't see reasonable fair value. And I don't mean sort of, you know, your traditional valuation, lick your finger in there, fair value model. We mean just relative to where we think the Fed might actually pause, pivot and start supplying liquidity to the market again. We think that level somewhere between 3,200 and 3,400 on the S&P. Um, so that obviously means we have a decent amount more pain to go. Before we think financial conditions have tightened enough, and we'll see, have seen enough uh, slowing in the labor market, slowing in the economy enough for the Fed to get comfortable that they're getting "quote unquote" you know clear and convincing evidence that inflation is returning to uh, their two percent target. Um, so, in, in terms of you know generally speaking, just as a rule of thumb, as an investor, you you generally want to be extracting risk premium from the market. You don't want to be paying uh, risk premium to the market, which obviously uh, occurs whenever you're short securities. So. Uh, You need to be good on timing with respect to that, and you also need to be good on the catalysts. And when I look forward, the catalysts actually get worse uh, in the coming months and quarters as opposed to getting better. So from our perspective, I think you you, you can continue to step on the neck of the market here, quite frankly, for lack of a better, uh, for lack of a more rosy uh, picture.
0: Uh, Julia, you've got a chart of real yields relative to the S&P 500 earnings yield. What level of the S and P five earning earnings yield would sort of be like a, a real R star to to truly moderate inflation? And then, uh, if you were to translate that into the price on the S and P five hundred, does, does Darius's sort of target of thirty two hundred to thirty four hundred is that within your range, or is it is you different?
1: Obviously, it will depend on earnings as well. Uh, but at the moment, that's the level that I would say starts to incorporate a, a high chance of a recession. And obviously, you know, um, financial repression as well. Uh, so that's definitely a level where I would, I would start to be uh, dabbing in um, as well. Uh, in terms of like the, the charts that you refer to, I'm looking at um, equity risk premium versus uh, real yields, and 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 you can see um, that real yields uh, are basically already overshooting uh, the the medium term equity risk premium, which I see as um, what is priced in terms of um, risk to the growth outlook, to the medium-term uh, growth outlook, and, and we're already, already, um, we're already overshooting uh, to the same tune as uh, 2018, where, where you got a, a very clear signal in in, in 2018 that um, you know sort of like late cycle dynamic where we're in train. Uh, because you, you, any time you get um, higher um, prices, you end up having, um, you know, automatically higher real yields, which which means that you you can't move up, and in in the end, uh, you, you sort of get the flush uh, that we got in in at the end of 2018. So it's it's really quite similar markets um, uh, in my view than 2018, except really for the fact that. You know I'm not sure that the Fed will be able to u-turn when we get the the the, another, the, the next 20 percent uh, downside in in SPX and and at that point it will start to get a bit scary uh, if we can actually lower real yields so with you know, I, I'm not, <laughs> I think I mean, it's I think it's scary right now yeah. <laughs> the,
2: the 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 scariest chart in macro in my opinion sitting here today, is the price chart uh, is a nominal price chart of the S and P 500 next twelve month earnings? Yeah, still up and to the right, making new highs as of, as of right now. I don't know what what how good the the, the dope Wall Street analysts are smoking. Yeah. but they need to take those numbers down, and we're not going to see a durable bottom in the stock market until those expectations come down. Just
0: just to explain that for the, for the audience, Darius. So that's uh, analysts on Wall Street. Sort of uh, making the numbers up, or you know, projecting. Which sometimes they are correct, but those projections for future S and P five hundred earnings are still up. So when we say the earnings yield is is so and so, that is incorporating those earnings. And if those earnings are wrong because growth is slowing, we have a recession. Then then that is uh, something to watch out for.
2: Hundred percent, absolutely.
1: Yeah. What's really madness is is how much you've you've basically taken down earnings globally. Uh, if you're looking at the uh, MSCI and um, earnings year on year, and you have definitely seen like massive downgrades. And in S and P, not at all. And and it's I completely agree with you. It's it's just um, I do I do think that the U.S. economy is a lot stronger, and I do think that final demand there is a lot stronger, and there's actually a structural. Um, you know, structurally higher demand than, than pre-crisis, which explains um, uh, the burst of inflation. But I still don't see how earnings um, uh, make any sense here.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, just two stats I'll throw out. You, you look at um, unit labor cost inflation running at 8% year over year. That's the fastest number we've seen in four decades. You have non-farm productivity down 0.6% year over year. That's the lowest number we've seen in four decades. Those two numbers, if they stay anywhere near there, which you could argue maybe they're likely at least on a unit labor cost perspective are likely to continue climbing there's no way in in in, in you know for part of my French as well there's no way in hell S&P earnings won't, won't you know look flirt with something that looks like a profit recession in fact i think investors you know that's probably the next leg down if you think about it from a market perspective which is companies having to report reality about their cost structures yeah. i mean we know this at at 16% the S&P 500's operating margin Is 200 basis points higher than any prior peak in history? I mean, we can have an earnings recession just to go back to the old prior peak. And obviously, if we start slowing in a material way, you know, the prior, the the previous prior highs is very unlikely to be the destination. So, um, from our perspective, I I think there's a lot more sort of pain to come as it relates to surprise risk, you know, particularly on corporate profits.
0: I've got a question I want to ask both of you, Juliet. I'll ask you first. What do you think is the uh, level that will be an appropriate overshoot to moderate inflation on the Fed funds rate. So I think the terminal rate implied by the the forwards curve is about three point nine percent. Do you think the one number one? Do you think we'll get there? The Fed will get there. And number two, do you think that is sufficient, or the Fed will have to go even higher to overshoot and really moderate inflation, as you say?
1: So Before uh, we had the um, Russia-Ukraine uh, war and, and when global uh, growth was more um, synchronized, uh, e.g., there was this, this big like uh, uh, dumping in growth in, in China and, and obviously in Europe as well. My view was that uh, US rates needed to get um, above 4% uh, before you were going to be able to um, slow down inflation. Um, in the meantime, gl- uh, growth, uh, global growth has strongly desynchronized. and I now expect uh, the strength of the dollar and much weaker uh, stocks to actually do part of the job that uh, rates uh, should have been doing. So even if you know we are close to price um, 4% now in terms of like terminal rate, I actually don't think that will be delivered. Uh, I think we will see um, a lot tighter finan- financial conditions on the back of a stronger dollar and, and, and weaker stocks. and therefore uh, the Fed won't be able to be to, to deliver the the, the rates. Um, that, that's my current view. Obviously, if I'm wrong on, on Europe and, and, and China, uh, if I'm wrong that the dollar is about to have like a massive move higher, then you know we can continue to push a bit higher um, in, in rates. Uh, but you know, I hope that answers your question
2: yeah I mean I don't I, to, to be totally honest with you i I'm I firmly I, I don't believe in this sort of concept of neutral rates not to say that the the theory is is invalid but it's again it's not something that we can observe and so it's not like we're turning a an air conditioner dial to the right setting and we're perfectly going you know tighten the economy to this perfect level that causes you know the the markets to go down just enough for inflation to get back just under control like to me that, that, that that's that's far too specific the economy is this you know, very amorphous, you know, beast. That's hard to control. It's hard to rein in. It's hard to you know do a lot of things uh, from a policy perspective. You know, we know when you dump a bunch of money in consumer bank accounts and balance sheets, they're going to spend it. And you know, when you dump a bunch of money into asset markets, they're going to go up. And we effectively, you know, you know, we, so we caused a lot of inflation. And now we cause, or as a function of that, you know, the Fed's got to tighten until it sees enough stuff broken. And whatever that level is, you know, then we'll look back in history and say, okay, that's probably where. The neutral rate was, but I mean, I think this expectation that we can, you know, ex ante determine that is 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 a a fool's errand, for lack of a better term. I think what's really happening is there's, you know, I forget how many members are on the FOMC. It's you know, twelve to fifteen members. They're sitting around a table going higher, (laughs) higher balance sheet, lower rates, higher, and they're going to do that until they see enough damage uh, from from the economic perspective that gives them confidence again that inflation. Is returning to their trends, so it's 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 we're we're we we do not need to be specific. We just need to know things are going to get worse from a tightening perspective.
0: And so, given both of your macro views, how are you thinking about asset allocation, in particular, a safe haven? You know, back in the good old days when stocks would go down, bonds would go up, and uh, maybe gold would go up as well we are no longer living in these days long duration bonds have had a record sell off alongside stocks and the, you know the correlation has has been the opposite of what people have, to have to, had to expect so you know Darius when you're constructing a portfolio how are you thinking about bonds and do you, are you looking for bond proxies now that bonds are no longer working
2: no no i mean i still think it's too early uh, to buy bonds the bonds are really start to work in our opinion once we get a little bit closer to a, a more significant slowdown in growth, and right now, I mean, to, to you know, to Juliet's point, which I agree with, our data would suggest, you know, we are, we're not slowing materially enough yet that I think would cause investors to start betting on, a, on an eventual Fed pivot, which is how and why bonds rally uh, into tightening cycles. They've historically rallied into tightening cycles. The, the problem with this tightening cycle is that the expectation that the Fed has to take up neutral rates or rate, uh, take the interest rate, you know, to a much higher level than it's taken it. Um, in a, in a recent in recent decades and recent tightening cycles, you know that that is what's scaring the bond market here. And so, just from an overall asset allocation perspective, at Forty Two Macro, we have, you know, in terms of what we have represented in the portfolio, there's sort of four key themes that I think um, investors should be taking advantage of. Uh, number one, short U.S. equities and credit. I mean, to me, that's about as no-brainer trade as as you as as, the, as, there, as there typically ever is in, in macro. I mean, basically, have every every factor working against it from a macro perspective when you look at the growth cycle, the inflation cycle, and liquidity cycle, and oh by the way, the profit cycle, which is still yet a major shooter drop. Uh, The number two theme: we continue to be long uh, energy and agricultural commodities. I mean, there's no signs of of a real material alleviation from a supply perspective on the on those on those goods. We're certainly seeing uh, a, a a drawdown in 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 prices for. Uh, base metals, as a function of the global growth slowdown, that's a lot more um, receptive and, and responsive to, to those dynamics. But things like energy and can very much continue rising in price well into a recession if we get one. Um, the third theme: we think the Chinese economy, um, to Juliet's point on desynchronized growth, um, China is is very much likely to be on a on a, on a, on a different path from a growth perspective. They ba- they're basically we're in recession for the last you know couple of months in terms of the zero COVID policy. And very, you know, we're not saying we have any real edge on, you know, the alleviation of zero COVID, but we certainly believe um, the Chinese growth cycle has inflected higher. Our data suggests that our grid models projecting them to be a reflation that's growth up, inflation up uh, for an extended period of time. And so, you know, being having exposure to China would be the third theme. And then the last theme, I think, you know, in anticipation of finally getting uh, to a place in the bond market that makes sense to buy yields. And really what that means is getting to a place uh, in the growth cycle, that you know makes sense for you know investors to start allocating to fixed income and size. Um, then it's it's cash. You know, again, you have a big cash position so that a when bonds do start to rally, you can you can allocate to that, and you still want to maintain a, a decent cash position. Once we get closer to what we think is the bottom of the growth cycle, you actually have money to buy stocks and crypto and everything else on the cheap. And this is the problem with most investor portfolios. They came into this year extremely. Long of risk assets, you know. I mean, you look at, um, you know, you take the flow of funds data and you look at the, it's the equity ownership. And this is U.S. Um, U.S. data, but I would imagine it probably looks very similar across the world. You know, we had hit up north of thirty percent in terms of the ratio between equity ownership and overall net worth. That's that was an all-time high, uh, heading into Q1 or Q4 or Q1 of this year. And so every single time we've seen uh, that that cycle peak, which it looks like we very clearly has. Um, you've typically seen a, a decent crash in the stock market. Um, That's the same thing with the broader business cycle. Same thing with the broader valuation cycle. I mean, this is as cheap as or, or as expensive as the market has ever been. When you take the S and P's uh, next twelve month earnings yield and subtract CPI from it to get sort of a real valuation metric, you know, uh, you know, it may be a little bit of loose accounting there, but the reality is we've only had six inversions in that that metric going back to the you know the early nineteen the sixties. And the median drawdown in the SP is minus 41% from those negative prints. So, you know, this is a very overvalued market, a very overowned market, and you're not going to see investors really pile into fixed income until they can get a handle on, you know, maybe seeing a pivot, an eventual pivot out of the Federal Reserve, which will only happen uh, with more pain and risk assets and, and a deeper growth mm-hmm. slowdown.
0: Thanks, Darius. Uh, Juliet, the question that I asked Darius was how are you thinking about asset allocation in general and specifically fixed income you know uh, bonds can no longer be relied upon or up until this year have not been able to be relied upon as a hedge because bonds have been going down alongside stocks do you expect that to continue you know is there any part of the yield curve whether it's nominals or inflation protected uh, uh fixed income securities that that are attracted to you or or no
1: uh, so in terms of um asset allocation at the moment I don't think in terms of like asset allocation for me it's really like a a trading market and and you don't invest yet you you really try uh, you really trade and and i think that's quite interesting chinese authorities have have really like spent most of, of last year uh, massively tightening uh, financial conditions and and obviously that's part of what created this um uh, you know recession uh, earlier uh, earlier this year, but obviously the fact that first there is no inflation and and secondly that you know there's already been uh, financial tightening uh, in the pipeline means that we're in completely different uh, monetary and and liquidity um, cycle, which means potentially Chinese assets. Could be starting to be um, interesting in in terms of uh, you know longer term uh, investment, and against those kind of like two longs, I would look to uh, sell uh, continue to sell uh, spikes in in U.S. stocks which are still dramatically overvalued. Um, so that's that's my current framework, uh, as long as continuing to to look at um, um, explosion in, in in sovereign spreads uh, in in Europe. Wonderful. Um... Thank
0: you thank you Juliet. Well, thank you both for uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. I feel like you both are cautiously bearish on the S&P 500 uh, for slightly different reasons. Either they have to do with inflation or recession uh, or, or or both of them. But uh, yeah, I've learned a lot. I uh, would love to have uh, both of you. You know, I feel like this is a great pairing. Um, Darius uh, and Juliet, thank you so much. Thank you everyone for watching. You de- definitely should check out uh, uh, the research services uh, of Darius, uh, that is 42 Macro, and of Juliet, that is uh, JDI Research. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you, Darius and Juliet.
2: Thank you, Jack. Appreciate you, Jack. Thank you, Juliet. This was awesome. I'd love to do it again.
1: Yeah, I I was I was very happy to meet you and, you know, hopefully soon uh, for real.
0: There is something that you need to be doing right now, and that is reading the BlockWorks daily newsletter for top market insights and the latest in crypto news. You have to subscribe to the BlockWorks daily newsletter, and you can do so by clicking on the link in the description to this video or by visiting blockworks.co forward slash newsletter.